0: Good morning, church. My name is Ellie. I'm one of our members here. Our reading today comes from Colossians 2, 16 through 23. Therefore, let no one pass judgment on you in questions of food and drink or with regard to a festival or a new moon or a Sabbath. These are a shadow of the things to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. Let no one disqualify you insisting on asceticism in worship of angels, going on in detail about visions puffed puffed up without reason by his sensuous mind and not holding fast to the head from whom the whole body, nourished and knit together through its joints and ligaments, grows with a growth that is from God. If with Christ you died to the elemental spirits of the world, Why, as if you were still alive in the world, do you submit to regulations? Do not handle, do not taste, do not touch, referring to things that all perish as they are used, according to the human precepts and teachings. These have indeed an appearance of wisdom in promoting self-made religion and asceticism in severity to the body, but they are of no value in stopping the indulgence of the flesh. This is God's word for us today. Let's pray together, church.
1: Father, as we have gathered today, we've we've woken up, we've gotten out of bed, we've gotten dressed, we've gotten in cars, most of us, and driven here to sit in these seats in our bodies. I've gotten up here to stand, to speak, to use my mouth, to preach your word today in my body. And yet we pray that everything we've already done and everything that we do from this point on in the service and and in all of life, God, would be a demonstration of our faith, our utter dependence on the finished work of Christ and his resurrected body which reigns over all things in heaven. For we, I think, will see here in these words that that faith in that body, is the very substance of our spiritual lives. Help us to see this. Help us to be changed by this truth today, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, this concept of religion and spirituality, it really is a very interesting concept if you just think about it. Um, The idea basically, is that people do things with their bodies in one way or another uh, to transcend this visible life in the body. Uh, For example, we, we sit still, we close our eyes, right, to meditate or to pray, or we stop eating food for a time to fast, right, often to find hope, spiritual hope in times of trials or or to grow or mature in a certain way, but ultimately uh, it's to find victory over sin and and life in a fallen world. At least we know as Christians that uh, this is our deepest spiritual need. Our life in the flesh is corrupted by sin, and the Christian life is all about overcoming that sin to find uh, a true spiritual life in Christ. But can we overcome our sin? Can sin be overcome even by our religion or our spirituality? Can it be overcome by doing things with our bodies to experience some sort of transcendent spiritual life? That is the question that Paul has set out to address here in our passage today. And I think we're going to see that when it comes to actually overcoming our sin, Not all forms of spirituality are created equal. In fact, uh, Paul is going to argue for a total paradigm shift in our spirituality. He is going to argue that we cannot do anything to make ourselves less sinful, but Jesus can. We cannot do anything in our flesh, in our bodies to make ourselves less sinful, but Jesus can. For the last few weeks, Paul's basically been telling us, us about the greatest, the most ultimate act of bodily worship that any human has ever done in the flesh. He's been telling us all about the crucifixion of Christ. He has told us that God is reconciling all things in heaven and on earth by making peace by the blood of his cross. He has told us that we were reconciled, he says, in Christ's body of flesh by his death. And last week we saw that as it goes with Christ's body in heaven, the one that actually rose, so it goes with his body on earth, the church here on earth. When he was nailed to the cross, it's as if our sin was nailed to the cross. When he was buried, it's as if we were buried. When he rose from the dead, it's as if we were raised. And today we are going to see... That all of this needs to totally change the way we approach our spirituality. There's a real danger in trying to do things with our bodies to experience this kind of victory over sin or or spiritual life, because ultimately what it does is it puts our focus on the wrong body. Paul is gonna argue uh, we need a new kind of spirituality altogether which has Christ as its substance. We need a new kind of spirituality that depends on what he has done in his body and not on what we do with our bodies. And to make that case, Paul is going to give us something to resist this morning and something to realize. Something to resist and something to realize. Look with me at the passage first. uh, We need to resist Christless worship practices. Christless worship practices. Throughout this passage, it's clear Paul is warning this church uh, to resist anyone that insists that they do some sort of bodily worship acts in order to experience spiritual life. And ultimately, in the scope of the whole book, the whole letter, uh, this passage right here is the clearest glimpse we get into the concern that Paul has Uh, in the city of Colossae for this church. This is what he's ultimately trying to address on, on the ground level, the practical level. He says in verse 16, let no one pass judgment on you in questions of food and drink or with regard to festival or a new moon or a Sabbath. He says, don't let them pass judgments on you. If they try to, resist them. Don't let them, right? Verse 18, similarly, he says, Let no one disqualify you, insisting on asceticism and the worship of angels and going on in detail about visions. Again, don't let them disqualify you when, as we saw back in chapter one, early in this letter, he, Paul has told us that God has qualified us to share an inheritance with his beloved son, Jesus Christ. And so he wants them to resist anyone who insists on these certain bodily acts as if they are the key to their spiritual life, and and neglecting them would lead to some sort of a disqualification or some sort of of judgment. And he clearly thinks that these people and these worship practices uh, are very dangerous. But I want you to notice he's not even just addressing one specific group. Or one specific set of worship practices. In verses, in verse sixteen, he lists a series of actually Old Testament Jewish worship practices. Um, we saw some of them surface in our call to worship from the Old Testament in the book of um, Jeremiah. Right, Carl? Isaiah? That's right, Isaiah. I was, I was with you. Um, But he says here, he says, let no one pass judgment on you in questions of food and drink with regard to festival or a new moon or a Sabbath. That's exactly what Isaiah was saying. Jewish tradition, the Old Testament, is full of these commands about food and drink and festivals. Sabbath worship was actually sort of the centerpiece of Old Testament spirituality. But then in verse 18, he lists a different and more generic set of worship practices. He says, let no one disqualify you insisting on asceticism and worship of angels, going on in detail about visions. This is kind of a, a bunch of different stuff. And by the way, that word asceticism refers to a certain practice of fasting, which was all about pushing your body to the brink of survival. Imagine fasting, not eating anything for days and days and days until you looked gaunt and sickly. That's actually kind of the point, is to have the physical appearance of looking gaunt and sickly. Paul refers to this later in the passage as the harsh treatment of the body. So Paul does not seem to be rebuking just one kind of spirituality. He kind of lists a grab bag here of all sorts of different practices, but they do all share One unifying problem in common, and that is namely that they were Christless. The gospel, the good news of his death and resurrection was was nowhere to be found in these practices. Regarding the Old Testament worship acts, Paul says specifically that these were a shadow of the things to come, but the substance, he says, belongs to Christ. In other words, uh, these practices were from God. Uh, They were commanded even by God in the Old Testament, but they were never the point. They were always meant to point us to the point, which is Christ, and that mystery's been revealed, Paul's told us. Concerning these other practices, especially these fanciful visions, Paul explains that the people who practiced these, quote, were puffed up without reason by a sensuous mind, and he says, this is key, not holding fast to the head. This is the key. He's told us that Christ is risen. He he is head of the body, the church. This is who he's talking about. They're not holding fast to Christ, from whom, he says, the whole body. Here we go again with body language. The whole body, nourished and knit together through its joints and ligaments even, grows with a growth that is from God. It's not just according to human precepts and teachings. It's from God. In other words, instead of of binding faith-filled believers together as the body of Christ, which we've also seen is part of God's plan to reconcile all things, instead of binding faith-filled believers together in the body, these Christless worship practices isolated people from the body, kept them at arm's length from the body in arrogance, in pride, because they were not holding fast to the head of the body They were distracted by these other empty philosophies and rituals and worship practices. And so the key, church, to this all, the substance of our spirituality, the head we need to cling to is Christ. If he is not the substance of our spirituality, then everything we do in the body, even if it's trying to worship God, we are doing it in vain. So Paul is trying to warn us, if we come across these other forms of Christless spirituality that do not involve holding fast to Christ in faith and or being knit together with his body, if we come across those worship practices, we need to resist them. Uh, we, we can't just go along with them as if, you know, they're basically the same thing. It's not really that big of a deal. They're not the same thing. There's a totally different religion even. But I think uh, Paul knew in his mind that if this church was going to follow through and actually resist these worship practices, there is something really important that they need to understand about these worship practices. They need to realize something. In particular, next we see, they need to realize that only Christ can overcome our sinful flesh. Only Christ can do it. Now before we dive in here, It's going to be really helpful to know a little bit about what the Bible teaches on this topic of the flesh. Uh, That word flesh uh, is, is sort of a crude way of referring to a person's body. Our flesh is who we are in a strictly physical sense, as if there were nothing spiritual about us at all. And throughout Scripture, there's a real disconnect between our flesh, our bodies, and our spirit. And certainly there's a disconnect between our flesh and our bodies and and the Spirit of God. The truth is, even though our bodies are very much alive, we're here, we're we're sitting, we're listening, we're talking today. Our bodies are alive, but the Bible teaches us that in and of ourselves, apart from faith in Christ, we are spiritually dead. It's not just that we're uh, sick, even. We're dead. And this is what Paul meant and referred to last week when he said that God has made us alive in Christ. He wasn't just saying that he made our bodies alive. I mean, he's writing this to people with bodies who can hear it read and listen to. Their bodies were already alive. No, he was talking about God making us spiritually alive. But remember, and if you notice, in order to experience this new spiritual life, he also told us last week that we need to put off our bodies of flesh, almost as if our flesh was buried with Christ. He says it this way uh, concerning this life in the flesh in Ephesians 2. I think this is really helpful. Paul says, we all once lived in the passions of our flesh. And here's what that means, though. He says, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind. And we were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. This is the human condition. Church, part of our sin problem is that we are enslaved even to the passions of our flesh. We cannot stop doing whatever we think our bodies need and want. Whether it glorifies God or not, whether it leads to good or evil, whether it leads to life or death, we just can't stop living as if the purpose of all things is to satisfy our flesh. This is really central. It's, this is part of the essence of what sin is about. It's to reject our spiritual reality of who God's made us to be, and to live as if our body is all that there is. And this is also one reason it's so significant, by the way. That the whole fullness of deity dwells in Christ's human body. There's never been a human body like this so intent on glorifying God even at the expense of itself. The Bible clearly teaches that our flesh is corrupted by sin because we are spiritually dead. And the only reason, the only real solution, rather, to that problem is what Paul explained last week, that we would put off the body of flesh and that we would live by faith in Christ's resurrected body and the reality of his rule and reign today. But if that's true, if all of that is true of us, well, then we should see no value in this kind of Christless, flesh-focused worship. And that's what Paul is getting at here in verse 20. If you look with me here, he says, if with Christ you died to the elemental spirits of the world, why, here's the key, why, as if you were still alive in the world, do you submit to these regulations? In other words, it used to be That our bodies, our physical lives were very much alive and we were spiritually dead but now through faith in Christ it's as if that equation is reversed. It's as if our life in the flesh has has come to an end. We are spiritually alive in Christ. It's like we're not even alive in this world anymore at least not in our flesh. The life we now live in the body, Paul says, we live by faith in the Son of God. To be a Christian is to give up any hope of finding spiritual life here in the material world. Why? It's because our hope of everlasting life is laid up for us in heaven. It is the body of Christ. In Christ, God himself has entered the material world to conquer our sin and death for us, And he rose again in victory to be preeminent over everything, both in heaven and on earth. Every piece of food, every human festival, every human body even, all of it. He is preeminent over everything. The whole fullness of deity dwells in him. All the treasures of wisdom and knowledge are found in him. Him. Now, by contrast, here's how Paul says. Uh, here's what Paul says rather about these other Christless worship practices. Look at verse 23. He says, "These have indeed the appearance of wisdom in promoting self-made religion, asceticism, and severity to the body, but they are of no value." He says, "In stopping the indulgence of the flesh, they don't work." They don't actually lead to our overcoming our sin. It may make us look spiritual. may make us look wise, but they don't work. That is what Paul wants us to realize. All these other things may seem wise. Oh, look, look how sickly he is. He must really know how to fast. Ooh, ooh, listen to the visions that he's had. He must be really spiritual, but they don't work. Spiritual as they may seem, they don't make us any less sinful, church, because the truth is we cannot do anything to make ourselves less sinful. But Jesus can. Jesus can. Now, this does not mean then we just do nothing as a result now. uh, It does not mean that we just give up on spirituality in our physical lives. It means that he must be the substance of our spirituality, any worship act, certainly we do with our bodies, but even everything we do with our bodies should celebrate his body risen and raised to heaven and knit us, it should also knit us together as his body here on earth. Everything we do in the material world needs to be done by faith in this resurrected man. Now that is quite a paradigm shift Uh, In some ways, it's it's hard even to kind of wrap your mind around uh, what does it mean to live in your body by faith in another man's body. That sounds like a very interesting concept, right? But how do you do that? (laughs) In other words, how can we tell if we are walking by faith in Christ's body or just doing Christless worship acts with our bodies? How can we tell? What does what this kind of spirituality actually look like? I want to share now, just to apply what we've seen in our passage, I want to share three marks of Christ-filled spirituality as opposed to this Christ-less spirituality. Three marks of Christ-filled spirituality. The first mark is this. Christ-filled spirituality brings us to an end of our life in the flesh. It brings us to an end. Of our life in the flesh. I like to say, uh, Jesus did not die just to make us a little more awesome than we already were. That's not what happened in the cross. Simply improving the life we are already living is not the goal of Christ like spirituality. Christ filled spirituality is not about self expression, uh, it is not about self promotion not even about just self-improvement. Christ-filled spirituality is about self-denial. It's about dying to ourselves. It's about putting off our life in the flesh. And that needs to shape the way that we approach any kind of worship practices. It needs to shape the way we approach anything we do with our bodies, which is most things. This means in a practical way that our spirituality should not just depend on stuff we do with our bodies, as if these bodily acts are are the key to our spiritual life and growth. For example, uh, doing yoga or or, or practicing mindfulness, right? As if we could experience true spiritual life by simply stretching our bodies or, or, or relaxing our senses in a certain way. That is not what Christ Filled spirituality looks like. Or or insisting that real Christians would never get a certain vaccine in their bodies. Or that any real Christian must get a certain vaccine in their bodies. That is not what Christ-filled spirituality looks like. As a general rule, if anyone insists, here's what you need to do or need to not do with your body. If you really want to be faithful to God, do not listen to them. Do not listen. Resist that spiritual advice because Christ-filled spirituality does not obsess over our life in the body. Christ-filled spirituality gets our eyes off Of this life in the body, and it gets our eyes on the eternal resurrected life that can only be found in Christ's body. Uh, As you know, uh, we are just five minutes away from a medical college. Uh, A number of you are are med students, uh, nurses, doctors, residents, even. Um, And I have really enjoyed uh, processing this intersection between faith and and medicine uh, with you guys. Um, this week, I actually had coffee with Kenrick, who's here. Uh, he's somewhat new to our church. We grabbed coffee, connected, and um, I asked him how med school was going, and he basically preached this application point of the sermon to me. It was so great. I was so excited by it. Um, he told me about a lesson he's recently had in, in sort of a medical category called Wellness. Uh, which which certainly goes beyond just physical observable health into certain things like emotional health and things that there's quite a bit of overlap with in terms of our understanding of spiritual life. And he said the idea of wellness apart from Christ is pretty interesting, he said, being charitable, I think. Uh, He told me about the limitations of treating people based on their physical bodies when we know that our ultimate problem is not just physical, it's It's spiritual, and I listened with joy as he said this to me as this passage came to life right in front of me. That's exactly what Christ, uh, sorry, that's exactly what Paul means here. Christ-filled spirituality does not major on the life we live in the flesh here and now. It cannot be reduced to merely physical stuff. In fact, it helps us to not major on the life we live in the flesh. Now, this doesn't mean we should just disregard our physical bodies and and the life we live. It doesn't mean that we need to be skeptical of things like modern medicine. Certainly, Christ absolutely cared for people's bodily needs. They matter to him. If you just read the Gospels, it's very evident. Not to mention, our greatest eternal hope is the resurrection of our bodies. This is what he's come to accomplish. And so, it does not mean that uh, we—sorry, but it does mean, rather— that we need to understand the limitations of of treating people's bodies. We need to understand that. It also means that we should never just assume that every pain and sorrow we experience in life can be reduced to and explained and fixed in the body. Because we know, we can tell right here, the most ultimate ones, in fact, cannot be fixed in the body. So as much as we should long to see all people be as physically healthy as possible, as as noble a thing as it is to to work and to strive toward that end, Christ-filled spirituality always brings us to an end of our flesh. Because the kind of spiritual life we really need cannot be achieved in our bodies. Next, uh, true Christ-filled spirituality also helps us to walk by faith. In Christ. It helps us to to walk, to live life in the flesh in in a different way by faith in Christ. So one really uh, unfortunate way to misunderstand this passage is, again, I've alluded to it a couple times, but it's to assume that nothing we do in our bodies matters now. And, And only the spiritual stuff matters, however you want to define that. For example, uh, Paul is not trying to say that we should just avoid any bodily act of worship even. Remember, he just told us last week how pivotal our baptism actually is. He wrote about baptism celebrating its spiritual significance and also assuming that every single member of this church he's writing to was baptized. And, And so tangible acts of worship are not the problem. Christless acts of worship are the problem. It's not just that we come to an end of our life in the flesh. The whole point of that is that we begin a new life in which we do everything, in which we walk in our bodies by faith in Christ. And at least in that sense, this should make us more passionate about the lives we live on a day-to-day basis here and now because everything we do with our bodies is now a chance to glorify God by faith in Christ. Intimacy with our spouses. Affections that we show to our kids. The projects we labor for at work. Everything we do with our bodies is now a chance to celebrate the end of our life in the flesh and the beginning of a new life in Him. And this is especially true of our bodily acts of worship here as a church. Uh, On October 17th, when we have our members gathering, that morning we're, we're actually going to baptize the Lurquins. Jim and Maureen, really excited about that. Why are we doing that? Why are we going to fill a tank with water in the material world and then ask them in their bodies to get in that tank and then dip them beneath it? Why would we do that? It's because they've been buried and raised with Christ, church. In just a minute, we're going to take the Lord's Supper. We're going to take some bread and some juice. And we're all going to drink it and eat it. Just a little. It's not going to fill you up. It's just it's, it's this big. Why are we going to do that? It's to celebrate his body and his blood poured out for us. Every Sunday we gather for worship so that God can knit us together as Christ's body. We get in our cars. We drive here. We sit next to each other. We sing. Why? So that God can knit us together in the body with a growth that is from him. These are all bodily things that we do but they're designed to help us walk by faith in Christ. Now, even still, none of them have the power to overcome sin and to bring us spiritual life, not in and of themselves at least. It's very possible to do any of these things, to do any biblical act of worship, even that we're commanded to do. It is possible to do it apart from faith in Christ. And if we do do it apart from faith in Christ, then it will be just as worthless as any other Christless act of worship. But when we do these things by faith, relying on his finished work, these bodily acts, ultimately anything we do in the body can glorify God and it can bring us rich spiritual life. This is the point of Christ-filled spirituality. It doesn't just bring us to an end of our life in the flesh. It also helps us to walk now by faith in Christ. It makes him the substance of our life in the flesh. And so is that why we read our Bibles? Is that why we pray? Is that why we share the gospel with our neighbors? Is that why we've joined this church? Is that why you've gotten in your car and come here today to worship? Is it to know Christ more and to rely to walk entirely by faith in him? Whatever we do, church, in the body, we need to do it holding fast to our head with needy hearts that are just longing for the grace of the gospel. Because that is the kind of spirituality God can actually use to make us less sinful. We need a Christ-filled spirituality that helps us to walk by faith in him. And finally, uh, Christ-filled spirituality, number three, knits us together with his body. We've seen this throughout the last few weeks, a number of weeks, the connection between Jesus' literal body in heaven and the body here on earth, his church. Remember the sacred cycle we talked about, that Paul referred to back in chapter one, uh, in, in verse four. If you look with me in chapter one of verse four, grab your Bible, look there, chapter one, verse four, Paul told this church that he and his fellow workers had been praying for this church since we heard, he said in chapter, in verse four rather, chapter one, verse four, since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and the love you have for all the saints, Because of the hope laid up for you in heaven. See, it starts, it's because of the hope laid up for us in heaven, which we've seen since then gloriously. This is the the resurrected body of Christ. It's the key to everything. Then we place our faith in that body. Uh, We start to live as if that's not just an idea, it's a reality. In fact, it's, it's the controlling reality of our life. We place our faith in Christ, and then the shared faith we have in Christ leads to a love. For all the saints, this is how Christ-filled spirituality works. It knits Christ's people together in love as if we, together, are his body here on earth. Now, the Christless, flesh-focused spirituality that Paul is describing here, notice, is very, very different than that. It has a way of puffing us up. It has a way of making a spectacle of how spiritual we are as individuals in relation to everyone else, right? And the problem, Paul explains, is that those who practice this are not holding fast to the head, from whom, he says, the whole body, nourished and knit together through its joints and ligaments, grows with a growth that is from God. If we want to experience this Christ-filled spirituality, we have to experience it together, do you see the difference between these two spiritualities? Christless, flesh-focused spirituality puffs us up. It makes us feel superior to the rest of the body because we're just so much better at worshiping God, right? With our bodies. We're so much better at worshiping God with our minds. I'm convinced uh, this is the kind of spirituality that has left led many to leave their church even recently. Because of the way that church has handled masks. Because, ugh, right? All those other Christians in those churches, they're so weak. They're so immature. But not me. I'm not. I'm spiritual. Because I don't put a mask on my body. Or or because I do put a mask on my body. This is not what Christ-filled spirituality looks like. It should be a major red flag to us. Christ-filled, faith-empowered spirituality always knits us together with the body. It does not puff us up and make us feel superior to the body because of the things we do in the flesh. And so let me ask, uh, sorry, we should ask ourselves today, is my spirituality knitting me together with Christ's body? Is it? Is it producing in me a deeper more lasting love for all of the saints. I want you to consider, uh, do you love uh, the members of our church more today than you did six months ago? Are we more willing to bear with them? Are we more burdened to care for them? If we see spiritual immaturity in them, do we long to see them grow with this kind of a growth that is from God or do we kind of just take them or leave them? kind of just assume that they're not really important to my spirituality, so we'll just kind of go our separate ways. If we are neglecting the body of Christ in this way, and especially if we're doing it with an arrogant, self-confident heart, because we think we have what it takes in the flesh to follow Jesus on our own, church, I hate to say it, but we may not be holding fast to the head. Especially a year and a half into a pandemic that has just flipped everyone's social lives upside down and totally changed our habits and practices of worship. We need to hear this today. Church, Christ-filled spirituality looks like Christians holding fast to the head with the rest of the body. So who can you encourage this week as you look around this room? Who can you pray for? Uh, Who can you spur on toward faith and good works? Uh, Who maybe do you need to apologize to even? In what ways might we need to adjust our weekly schedules and and even our life priorities to start living a Christ-filled spiritual life that actually knits us together with his body? This is what we want to be all about as a church here at Redemption because that is the kind of spirituality God uses to grow us with a growth that is from him. Because church, all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge are found not in this world and certainly not in our flesh. They are found in Christ. They are found in the one in whom the whole fullness of deity dwells. He needs to be the substance of our spirituality. Whatever it is we do with our bodies this week, and next week, and until we die, let's do it to know him more. Uh, Let's do it relying entirely on him. Let's do it as if he were doing it through us, because we will never find the kind of spiritual life we need in our bodies. We need to find it by faith in his body.